You are listening to the Desire to Retire podcast. The podcast that reduces that sense of feeling overwhelmed when you think about your retirement. You can go from woe to wow with your retirement plan. I'm your host, Estelle Kelly. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Desire to Retire, Ready or Not. We all know what we are retiring from, but what we are retiring to is less certain. Hello, I'm Estelle Kelly. I'm a retirement life coach and Alice Mantell, a Sydney-based lawyer and author. Today, we're going to dispel some of the unknowns and uncertainties that professionals have when they begin to think about retirement. Together, Alice and I hope to dispel, uh, sorry, to impart helpful information to enable listeners to face retirement and retirement planning without fear. And Alice is the author of this book, Every Woman's Guide to Retirement. It's very comprehensive coverage of the subject for Australian women, and you can purchase an electronic copy or a hard copy at Alice's website, mantelladvisory.com.au. Now, this series is titled Facing Retirement Without Fear, and uh, we're still covering future-proofing your retirement. Today, Alice is going to share with us her knowledge of the legal aspects that we can face as we begin to age. Now, Alice, what do you mean? Can you just remind us, what do you mean by future-proofing your retirement? Well, future-proofing is just another way of saying putting in some protections for yourself for the future when you might not be able to manage things as well as you are at the moment. There's no guarantee in that. But there are some things, particularly in the legal area, that we can do to make sure that we're prepared for the unexpected. Remember that you've got at least another 20 to 25 years of life ahead and any number of things can happen. You know, something can happen to our health, to our partner's health. We can have a separation in our relationship. All we need to do is to prepare for the worst, plan for the worst, but hope for the best. <laughs> Thanks, Alice. It sounds like very good advice. <laughs> so I imagine that as we um, get into that last uh, third of our life uh, span, it becomes ever more important to organise um, important documents, or should we say essential documents, Alice? Yeah, it's one of those things that we tend to forget, that we actually acquire a lot of uh, physical documents that tend to be, depending on how well organised or otherwise you are, uh, we, we tend to just leave them in wherever we think is convenient. Now, what I'm suggesting is that you put your important or your essential documents in one place that or someone else coming into your house could easily find them. So the sort of documents that I was thinking about was your car registration, your insurances for your house and your car, uh, your property certificate of title, if you've got it, you might not have it uh, these days, Um, and, and your will or power of attorney as well in the same place. 
And the other thing that you probably haven't thought about is the passwords for your computers mm -hmm. and all your other gears. And, and I have a recent story about that. I didn't just in this last week heard about um, a woman who had a very debilitating stroke. Uh, she survived it and she's in hospital still, I think, at this stage. Her family wanted to access her laptop, uh, which had contained a whole lot of this information, but she couldn't remember her password. Mm. And that was very difficult. And I've got other cases I've heard of where this happens. So it's a really useful thing to put a list of your passwords there so your family can access those documents. You don't need to necessarily tell people where those things are. Uh, well, you should tell them where it is, but you don't have to tell them what's inside your will if you don't want to. Mm, okay. Thanks for that, Alice. And look, uh, um, a little tip that I was given to add to what you've said is that um, purchase and record in a special little book or something and uh, the, all those passwords to all those important or essential documents and keep them together um, in a very safe place. Um, hmm. You know, um, I know at home I've got um, a fireproof, a metal fireproof box where I keep my will and, and that little notebook with all those things in it. Um, and look, my, my laptop is, uh, it opens with facial recognition. So if, yes. you know, there's so many different things you have to think of, it seems, to, yes, that's so that... Wonderful. So that when things do go wrong, people can help you out. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So what are some of the legal issues that can arise as we get older? Well, one of the things that I was thinking about was what happens when your long-term relationship breaks up. Unfortunately, if you look at the statistics, breakup, relationship breakup after the age of 50 is absolutely escalating and you would not think this because you tend to think it's uh, the breakups of, and I'll, I'll talk about marriages but in fact I'm, I'm also including de facto relationships uh, the figures on de facto relationships are far more difficult to obtain but with marriages the the rate you tend to think that people who have been married less than four years makes up the amount the majority of, of divorces and that is the case. But the next most common age is people over 50 with long-term relationships. So mm -hmm. over 20-year relationships, they are a growing cohort of divorces. Look, there are lots of reasons for that, but we won't go into them at this stage. But to say that they, the impact of a, a breakdown of a relationship at a later age is far more serious than it is as a younger person because as a younger person you can start again an older person has a lot more difficulties with that now let's just assume that you're going to have a civilized divorce and you walk away with say half of the property that's that's what we would like to think uh, don't forget your superannuation in that it is actually essential to get good advice because i think you will find that uh, women tend to have a lot less superannuation than their partners, uh, particularly in a long-term relationship if, if there are children. And you should be asking for some of the share of their superannuation because that's going to help you start again. Uh, it's not being greedy about it. It's saying the reason that your partner has made a lot of money and been able to work 
nonstop throughout the, their life is because you have supported them and raised their children. Mm. So let's just say you've got a civilised divorce. You're going to have your, most people's major asset is their, their property, their, their family home. You will literally have half of that and you can't, won't be able to buy the same kind of house that you had before. So what are you going to do about it? My advice is that people try and buy a similar a property in a similar area. And that could be a, a unit or something less than that. But it's very important to buy something that you can buy outright. And, and the problem is, of course, if you have a family house that still has a, a mortgage outstanding on it, you're going to have even less than what you had before. Uh, and that, that is a very difficult aspect for most people to get used to at a later stage because obviously we, we have a certain kind of lifestyle as we get old. Mm. Remember that if you're an older person, the chances of you being able to get another home loan is very low. They're not The banks do not like older applicants. You're not likely to get a loan. Mm. So my advice is don't rent because renting is a very precarious place to be. You'd be better off trying to buy something further out, but having a roof over your head is essential. Do not be tempted to move in with your children uh, because that's what a lot of people do. They suddenly think, oh, let's give the children something. Perhaps they can build me a granny flat. Do not start another relationship for exactly the same reason because you need your own financial security before you embark on any of those things. Uh, you know, assisting your children is all very well, but assisting yourself is the most important because mm. your personal financial security does not rely on your children's de decision as to where they live. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, okay, yeah. Alice. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds a bit harsh, but thank goodness there's people like you. Well, this I, I could give you more stories on that, but I, I won't. <laughs> right. They tend to be negative, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> okay. All right, so should we have a will? Yes, everybody needs to have a will over the age of 18. Wills are not particularly related to age, but uh, we tend to think about it more uh, as we get older because your family is suddenly interested in it. <laughs> your family wants to know uh, what are they going to get. <laughs> and, and you see, the problem is that people tend to put off uh, making a will when they're younger. They, and, you know, I've encountered numerous clients that were thought it was really bad luck. You know, they had a superstition. If I make a will, I'm going to die. And therefore, they don't make a will. Now, the problem is that we don't know what's coming. You know, we could get hit by a bus, but we could also have any number of diseases, you know, accidents that happen to us. We could have a chronic disabling disease, all of those things which, you know, really affect our ability to have capacity. And lawyers, mm -hmm. unfortunately, do have a tendency to talk about capacity. Mm. Uh, but it's very important in respect of, of making will. You need to be of sound mind. So this is something we should plan for for the future. Certainly not having a will uh, and dying intestate can have a lot of problems. So perhaps mm. you've had some experience in that area? Yeah, look, I have, Alice. Um, 
I'm one of five children uh, and look, our youngest sister, she unfortunately suffered a, a brain injury through disease when she was quite young. And uh, it ended up that she lived in care for her whole life until she was in her 60s. Now, she never worked. Um, and so who would have thought that she had anything to leave when she passed mm -hmm. away? But uh, in fact, we discovered um, that when she did pass away, she, over the years, I don't know how it happened, but she had built up quite a little sum of money. Um, and she died in test state because she never had the capacity to make a will. So we had to, um, we engaged some lawyers to help sort that out. Um, it would have been a lot easier if she had had the, that capacity to write a will. Um, yes. Yeah. But anyway, it all got sorted uh, eventually. and um, But it can be an expensive business just doing that. And I also have stories along those lines. Uh, let me just say that it saved, it, the point of having a will is to benefit the people that you love uh, the most and to do it in an easy kind of way. Going to court is expensive. Mm -hmm. You can also benefit charities if you have nobody in particular that you want to give money to. That's mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and one of the things you need to do, of course, is uh, an appoint an executor for your will as well. And these are reasons why you uh, need to do it um, to regularly review your will as well. So in the case of your, your sister, the laws of intestacy apply and they're pretty much the same, I think, in most states. So this uh, relates to members in the family who are entitled to have a share, which would be siblings in this case, probably rather than parents, but, mm. but the, it's a statutory requirement. So, and the other reason for actually making a will while you are well and able to do it is that it prevents that other increasingly awful uh, thing that's happening in our society and that's elder abuse. Because in my experience, this is something uh, they, they, they call it, um, you know, inheritance greed, I suppose, that uh, the older parents are living longer. Children are not getting what they feel that they're entitled to. So the parents, when they, as they become more frail, are much more likely to be the subject of uh, abuse. And, and abuse is not necessarily physical, but it can be. It can also be a mental, emotional, that kind of thing that happens. I've certainly seen examples of that. Um, and they become more interested in what you've got in your will. And that goes very much to getting you to the person to, to change their will in their, their favour. And I think that's another reason why I'm saying it's very important for you not to do a, have a do-it-yourself will mm -hmm. because it's more yeah. likely that you can have, you've got a, a child who wants something changed in their favour, that they, it gets changed in their direction. Going to a lawyer is a much better way to record what you want and why you want. And those notes that the lawyer will make will actually assist if there ever is uh, a later challenge to the will. And mm -hmm. let me just say, having a lawyer do your will is relatively not, not an expensive business. It's usually a few hundred dollars, certainly the last time I 
we had one made. It was mm. only a few hundred dollars and it gave me some peace of mind. So, as I say, I think reviewing your will is very important. Yeah. Um, and you often a... hear of, sorry to interrupt, Alice. No, go, you, go ahead. You often hear of um, the adult children, you know, there's a falling out between the siblings and yes. um, one feels as if the other is taking advantage of the elderly parent and, and yes. that they're being cut out totally from having a say about yes. uh, what happens to the estate. Not that it's, oh, I... it's their estate to do. To, but uh, but I I can I certainly have a, st a story on on that sort of point of one of my friends mm -hmm. where the there was a very ordinary little house not worth that much but the only asset in that parents uh, estate and they happened to have in, again with five children the youngest daughter was living in the house they somehow she got the parents to to change their will she received a life estate. Uh, and that's, uh, I can talk about life estates, which effectively meant that everybody else got nothing. Um, and because she's the youngest daughter, she's uh, perhaps 10, 15 years, you know, age gap between the oldest and the youngest. She will be living in that house and everybody else will not get anything. So, which is perhaps, you know, when everybody has, has you know, had reasonably, is, has become reasonably well off, that may not be an issue. But out of in, in that particular family, one of the children was a single mum who was struggling and a small amount of money would have helped her a lot in, in managing her mortgage. So, yeah, yeah and, but they decided not to challenge it. But the family relationships after that kind of fracture are, are never the same. In that, in that family, no one speaks to that youngest daughter because they feel like mm -hmm. they have... have uh, you know, really missed out. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Alice, um, what about uh, we've already got a will, but then um, there's, a, you know, a separation, a divorce that happens unexpectedly, or uh, you know, or people could see it coming a mile off. <laughs> well, both of those things, as I say, it is the growing, growing area. Separation in itself doesn't change the will, all right? It would okay. continue. Mm -hmm. But what is happening more and more these days is that people are entering de facto relationships that can affect the will. And that is something to think about. If you are starting a relationship with a de facto partner, uh, are you going to include them in your will? Uh, if you don't include them in your will, they are very likely to be someone who is going to contest the will because they're going to say, well, I'm in a close relationship, you know, we're effectively in a domestic relationship. We mm. should have, I should have been thought of in this will. In having a divorce probably simplifies some matters. It does vary from state to state. Let me just say in New South Wales, uh, a divorce revokes the gift to the spouse and revokes them as an executor. But I think in Victoria, it revokes, and, and I think in other states, it revokes the entire will. Yeah, so definitely. as soon as you divorce, you need to make a new will. It's one of the very high mm. uh, priorities that you need to be making. So let's just talk about you start a new relationship, survived a divorce, what happens then? Mm -hmm. So you, you, as I said, in a de facto relationship, effectively, it's that's a long-term relationship. 
their children, that your, your new partner has children and you have children, what happens when you make the will? Mm. This, is the same, this is the same for a marriage, let me say. When you make the will, when you say, I'm going to give X to my children, do you mean your own personal biological children or do you mean the children of your partner as well? Mm. And this can be a very fraught area because the other children, you know, the non-biological children might think, well, you know, I was part of this family for X number of years. I have a right to be included. Mm. So it's, it's not always about uh, the, the actual dollar value of, of the gift to, who, to the beneficiary, whoever that might be. It's also that a will is related to the love that you feel for someone. So if you don't love someone, well, how better to express it than in your will? Or you do love someone, how better to express it? You need to get good legal advice about that. If you, you have children that, um, sorry, let me just think about that. If, if you have children that you don't wish to include, you need to give reasons why you're not including them. For example, in, in my particular case, I have um, stepchildren. I mean, they're quite adult. But I, my view, you know, my will says it's because they will be provided for by their own parents. They don't need to rely on any, any assistance from me. And that's mm. fair enough as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is a rather tricky situation. And if you look at uh, it, I'll just talk about the New South Wales um, situation. If you want to make a family provision claim, they are entitled to make a claim against your estate. So my idea of a good will is a will that causes uh, the least uh, ongoing difficulties in the, in the family situation that are left. It requires a balance of interests, but it should reflect what you really want to say yes. you know, about, about, uh, about your situation. So uh, at this point, um, you can also think about giving a gift to a charity in, in mm. services. And, and that, again, needs to have uh, good legal advice because the names of charities change all the time, unfortunately. They do, yes. Yeah, and um, giving to a charity, um, you can be asked, um, what is it, whether it's a, a set amount or whether it's a percentage of your assets or your estate probably um I, I i've always done it in set amounts myself i wouldn't mm. because that that it because it it uh impacts of the other beneficiaries mm, as well it does and let yeah and let me just say that where you have a gift to a charity they can be very competitive in the family provision claim they really like to insist on their gift okay. <laughs> Right, I really do. Yeah. So anyway, this brings me. Um, it's it's a very. Uh, I've always thought that uh, family provision claims are very interesting. You know, arguments about estates because you find out so much about family relationships. It's, you really do. I'm sure you've had some families in front of you. Well, no, I've, I, I, I've never done very many of them. So I, I, um, I, but I do think it's something you, you do want to avoid. You want to have mm. an agreement so that people can live with whatever your gift has been. They don't want to just look back at you and say, 
oh, so-and-so, they, they <laughs> didn't care about me, you know, and, and look, the whole family's divided as a result. Well, I've told my family, Alice, that I'm going to spend the lot before, yeah. I, before I die. <laughs> so, and uh, one of my children took it very well indeed, said, have a wonderful time, Mum. <laughs> well, but that's good for your children, <laughs> yeah. but there's an awful lot that don't agree with that. Yes, and I can understand that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, look, Alice, it's just been so helpful. Thank you for all that knowledge that you're sharing with us uh, today. So, uh, and we're going to talk again very shortly, <laughs> okay? Thank you. Um, about enduring power of attorney and those tricky things, the enduring guardianship or advanced care directions. Thanks, yeah. Alice. I'll Thanks. see you. See you again shortly. Bye. You have been listening to the Desire to Retire podcast. Want to check out how well you are progressing in planning for your retirement? To gain some clarity on planning a meaningful retirement, try the simple no-cost tools or access this special three-part podcast series at retirementlife.coach. I am your host, Estelle Kelly. Thank you for listening.